0: for more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rant podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Springfield, Oregon was once known for the overshadowing felt by the neighboring town of Eugene. Things have changed dramatically in the past 10 to 15 years for both Lane County communities as Eugene has lost its way and Springfield has become a town worth taking pride in. Today on the Spent the Rant podcast, we are joined by a man who can give us some insight as to why this change has taken place. Coming up next, Willamma Lane board member and Lane County Democratic Party chair, Chris Wig. <music> Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host Patty Rose. My guest today is Lane board member and Lane County Democratic Party chair Chris Wig. Chris, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Patty.
0: I want to give a little back history or backstory on how this came to be, and I want to give you a thank you for for doing this. This we had to reschedule some things. A mutual friend of ours, one of your. Uh, coworkers at Willamma Lane, my good friend, Zach Bassett has been on the show and he was the one that messaged me and said, you should really interview Chris. He's, he's incredible. He's doing great things. I think he would be a great guest. So I reached out to you and, and you pretty quickly agreed to do it. And then we were going to do it last week, but I was just so needing a break. And so I pushed this back a little bit and you were super gracious. I was definitely after Bernie Sanders dropping out of the campaign, I was a little bit frazzled and you were super awesome. And I want to just, I want to tell you how much I appreciate your kindness in that. You, you had told me it's like, if, if you need anything, I totally understand it. If you need anything, just let me know. And that went a long way with me. So I definitely respect you as a man of character. And so I appreciate you being a guest on my show.
1: Oh, well, thank you for those kind words.
0: Yeah, that was really touching to me as simple as it is, because in that moment, I just needed kind of understanding and you, and you definitely gave me that. So I definitely appreciate that. So I mentioned a little bit, about who you are. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit more. One of the things that we're going to get to in a little bit is that you are on the Lane County Democratic Party and you're a chair member. And we're going to talk about that in a bit, but I wanted to start off with talking about Willamette Lane and what Willamette Lane is. So you were a board member for, for Willamette Lane. And if somebody just moved to Springfield and they're unfamiliar, what did it, what is Willamette Lane?
1: Oh, great. Yeah. This is a great question. So Willamette Lane, um, Oregon has a great thing called special districts, and that that is if the taxpayers within a certain jurisdiction want to levy taxes against themselves, you know, against property taxes, to provide a specific service, that there's a pathway for them to do a ballot measure, um, that there has to be a vote of the people to create a special district. And that Willamilane is both the very, it's kind of like a school district, but not just for schools. And so Lane is the first special district in the state um, that it, the in fact, the laws that create special districts were created um, in order to facilitate Lane being able to exist. And this is back in like the forties. Um, if you've ever, anybody who lives in Springfield has ever been to Fort Park. Well, Fort is named after Judge Fort, who was the guy who got all the Lane started. And the mission at the very beginning was to create parks and recreation opportunities, so that um, it would keep kids from doing crime and drinking and experimenting with drugs, but so that there would be positive things for them to do. And that Willamette Lane has stuck true to that all the way to this day and does so much more. And so Willamette Lane is, uh, it is an independent park district. So like in Eugene, the parks are part of the city of Eugene government. The parks are run by a division of the government um, that, the funding for the parks has to compete with the funding for all of the other priorities. And Springfield does it differently. The Springfield voters have decided that the Springfield parks are going to be separate. And so being a board member of Lane is essentially like being the city councilor of just the parks. And it's really, really cool because um, when I went out and knocked on doors to run for my first campaign for Lane just talking to people about their um, multi-generational experiences and relationships with Willamalane. I spoke to grandparents who, they went to Willamalane when they were kids, then they took their kids to Willamalane and now their kids are taking their grandkids to Willamalane. Yeah. It's, it's amazing stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah, I've got great, real quick, I've got, I've got great memories. I mean, some of the facilities that, again, we're gonna, act, we're gonna assume that people that are watching or listening to this have no idea. So we're gonna say things that pe- a lot of people obviously know, but for some people they may not. And you know, Willamalane has the wave pool, and then has the pool on Mohawk or 14th or whatever it is Centennial in that area where they were kind of ahead of the the curve to putting in the skate park and that Mm -hmm. skate park brought, I mean, Tony Hawk came out when they launched that, that was incredible. So Wilhelm one of the things that I really admire about the work that they do and what you guys do is that they listen to the people, you know, and I've, I talked to Zach and Zach had mentioned some of the things about, uh, um, Latin outreach, and so the Hispanic community and how they're trying to really work with the Hispanic community in, in Springfield as that's grown. And that's incredible stuff, you know, because they know the demographic. And this is what needed to change for Springfield. We're gonna get about, uh, get to that in a little bit about the changes in Springfield, but you can continue on about Willemma Lane. How did you get involved with
1: it? So I got involved with Willemma Lane um- a little more than two years ago now, um, my fiance, now fiance and I, we bought a house in Springfield and then when we were, you know, deciding that we're we're going to, this is real, like this is going to be permanent, we're going to start a family, we started to look at houses, um, we started to look in Eugene, and that we quickly decided that we wanted to be a part of Springfield. Um, so we, I mean, we chose to come here. By the end, we were only looking at houses in Springfield. Um, And that we, you know, looked at a dozen houses and that one was really great for us. And so now we live over on Pleasant Street um, off of Centennial in between 5th and Mohawk um, in that neighborhood right there.
0: Yeah, that's where I grew up.
1: Kind of across from uh, um, Hamlin Middle School, and so when I was thinking about how do I want to get plugged in, because when I when I lived in Eugene, I was the chair of what's called the Civilian Review Board, which is the um, the citizen committee that oversees and like reviews investigations into allegations of police misconduct. So I was really involved there. I was really involved. Um, I was on the Housing Policy Board, which I have been on. Um, I was on for about two years, and I dropped off in my term ended December 31st of last year. And so, you know, I've been involved in community endeavors and, um, I ran for city council in Eugene in 2016 and I didn't win, uh, but you know, so I've run for office before, um, but when I came to Springfield, you know, looking at the planning commission, and the budget committee and the different, the different ways that people can plug in, uh, Willamiland really stood out for me. One, because uh, an independent park district was something new for me. And that I thought that that was just a really, really cool idea um, that my job, my day job is that I work as the director Of the Focus Treatment Court program. Um, I work for an agency called Emergence and that we deliver drug and alcohol services to individuals who are involved in uh, the Lane County Adult Treatment Court, which most people know of as Drug Court, Lane County Veterans Court, and Lane County Mental Health Court. And so I see kind of like on the back end like what does what what happens to people when they don't have good options when they're kids. I also back in the day, I used to work at the children's farm home up in Corvallis, which is a psychiatric residential treatment facility for teenagers. And so the idea of how Willamalane programs like youth sports and that, that that core mission at the beginning of the district of, you know, Judge Fort got this all together so that youth would have good options, that, that was really, really appealing to me. And that as, you know, I am, you know, we're going to get married next year. Presumably that uh, if everything stays according to plan, that we're going to start a family someday and then I'm going to be a dad. And so what kind of community structures do I, do I want to have in place for my kids someday? Right. So just really jumped out and that there was the opportunity. Um, there was a vacancy on the board in, uh, in January or February of last year. And that I was fortunate enough to be appointed to that vacancy. And so I was appointed first. And then in the May election, I ran in the May election and I uh, did Willameline, the district, the way the election works is pretty interesting because most elections, even if the districts are at large, you run for a specific seat. And so uh, Willameline doesn't do that. It's just straight up at large. And so the way that it was set up that time is that there were four people running for three positions and that the two top vote getters would get a four-year term and then the third vote getter would get a two-year term and then I uh, was able to be the top vote getter and so I won a four-year term on the board last May and that started July 1st of last year. And so here we are. They we're were, um, uh, you know. How, how, many my,
0: board, how many board members are there?
1: There are five board members. Um okay. Our president is Greg James, and our vice president is Denise Bean. Greg is a retired purchasing manager from the Springfield School Districts, and Denise Bean owns Bean Counter Tax Services, which is a tax preparation service over by like 18th and Olympic. Um, it's over by there. Uh, and right. then there is uh, Senator Lee Byer is on the Willamette Lane board, and then Renee Jones, who Renee Jones works for LTD, and oh, that cool. she is a, a manager at LTD, and then me. And I, you know, I work in drug and alcohol counseling. There's no pay to be on the board. It's a volunteer. Yeah,
0: commitment. I was just going it, to ask.
1: It's really, I mean, it's it's definitely a really cool volunteer commitment. It's probably my my favorite volunteer commitment that I've ever had.
0: But that's really cool. And it's it's really service. It's public service. I mean, mm-hmm. and obviously there's stepping stones because, you know, you go on your Facebook page and it says politician, like you have aspirations, which is good, you know, and you've done a lot of work, but that's a lot of, that's something that people don't understand when it comes to local government, is a lot of these positions are not paid. <laughs> you know, city council and all that. Is city council is not paid. It,
1: not in Springfield. No, the mayor, yeah. the mayor and city councilors in Springfield are not paid, and in Eugene they're paid a pittance. Um, I think that the mayor makes eighteen hundred dollars a month, and the city councilors make fifteen hundred dollars a month.
0: Right. Wow. Not, and,
1: that's not enough for. I mean, part of why. Uh, I'll tell you that, like, part of why our governance in Oregon can be so screwy is because we don't pay elected officials enough so that working people can actually afford to serve in those positions. And so if you look at in the, even in the state legislature. That a state senator makes about $26,000 a year wow. and a house member makes about 23,000. And so I, I could be off give or take a thousand sure, on that, sure. but, but either way, that that's not enough money for a working family to raise their family on. And so you have three main groups of people that make up our legislators and there. And again, of course there's exceptions. I'm not saying a hundred percent, but most of our legislators are either a retired, B independently wealthy, or C, have a wealthy spouse. And so that those three groups of people, and if you look at the laws that are passed by the legislature, most of which I think are pretty good, you know, as a a Democrat, I'm pretty happy with what they're doing. Still, there is clear, and even though they, they try, I think that they try to be as inclusive as possible, but that you see that, Um, that not everyone is represented, and so that the laws skew a certain way. Um, If you look at city councils, right, city councils, both in Eugene and Springfield, have a very disproportionate amount of homeowners that are on the city council. And also, you know, the opportunity cost to be on the city council isn't as high, so more working people can can serve in those capacities. But, you know, you look at 50, this is something we talked about in Eugene a lot, 51% of the people who live in the city of Eugene are renters. 51%, and that there is one renter on the city council, and it's Republican Mike Clark, who actually, his politics are the most hostile to renters out of all of them. And so, that 51% of the people, their primary interest, housing, is not represented. And so, I'm super excited that this year on the council and the elections in Eugene, we have some really solid pro housing candidates we even have, I mean, we have two pro-housing candidates in Ward 1. We got Tim Morris and we have Eliza Kishinsky. We have Matt Keating in Ward 2. We have Claire running for re-election, who is consistently one of the better counselors on those issues in Ward 7. And in Ward 8, we have Ryan Moore um, and Randy Gross, who both are pretty solid on the housing issues. And so that that's, you know, that that's going to be a major, I mean, elections have consequences, right? And so that you know, is, I think, has the potential to make a major difference because, you know, when you look at, I mean, we're going to, we have the potential to replace some of our lowest performing counselors with fresh faces who have new ideas and that are, you know, have the vitality to carry them through and that that's so, you know, I'm not a part of Eugene politics really anymore, except I'm the party chair, but it's really exciting to see that happening finally.
0: Right. Well, and I'm sure that working Living and working in Springfield, you do work side by side with Eugene in a lot of ways, you know, so there, it's something that you definitely have your, I wouldn't say your hand in, but you're interested in, in what's happening because it affects us as well over here. You know, and I, I go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, and, you know, at this time in our history, like Democrats have a dual burden, which I think that is, this is lost on a lot of people, especially when we're doing interparty party fighting. Um, yeah. Democrats have a dual responsibility. One is to enact a progressive agenda um, or as progressive of an agenda as we can without getting too far out in front of our skis. Um, but also we have in, in this like time of acute partisan polarization, the democratic party has the obligation to defend the very existence of the social contract. If you look at, like, what's the difference between the Tea Party on one hand and, like, DSA and some of the more radical Democrats on the other hand? Well, the Democrats, you know, e- even the most progressive, militant Democrats, they want to make the world better. Like, they want to make, they want to pass laws to make it, people have health care and people have child care and people have good wages. Like, heaven forbid we do those things, right? Like, those are, those are great right. things to do. And then if you look at the Tea Party, all they wanted to do was burn shit down. Right. And, that, that, and that is their stated, I mean, that was their stated objective. They didn't have any policy demands. They recognized that the president was black and they wanted to burn shit down. And that so we don't only have to pass laws as Democrats, right? We have to defend the very existence of the social contract right. at a time when the Republicans in the state legislature won't even come to work. Like what other job on earth can you not go to work? And you still get your job, and on top of that, the coup de grace—you still get paid to do that. Right. That it's 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 and it's getting thing. cheered on, and it's a
0: political move, you know. And we could be here forever. And we're I'm hoping that we'll have, you, I'm hoping that we'll have <laughs> but, you on as as a return guest to to talk specific policies and specific sure. things. Because when, uh, just a quick side note, then I want to get to back to some some election talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, But one of the big things, you know, in Salem, when we had the protests with the truck drivers and whatnot, I wish I had someone that we'd come on and speak on that at length, because a lot of people in Oregon kind of are on the outskirts of this debate where they don't really understand, you know, so, but that's a whole different issue. So we talked about a a current, the current, uh, you know, with this coronavirus shutdown and the stay-at-home order, one of the things that's being lost on it is that there is campaigns going on. Yeah. One of the people that is running in Springfield that we wanted to talk about was Mike Eister. Is mm-hmm. running for mayor so yeah. I'm not very familiar with Mike Eister so this is your opportunity to sell him to me
1: oh, <laughs> so, oh I can't, so I can't sell I mean I can't no, sell it. no but sure no, but
0: I, I, I just want to call? hear what you have to say because you had told me we talked last night a little bit for about mm-hmm. 10 minutes on the phone and you had told me that Mike Eister is somebody that you're very optimistic about if he gets elected that he's gonna do really good things and maybe you can tell us why
1: I, I, I am very optimistic about Mike um that you know, some background is that, um, you know, Matt Keating, um, who serves with Mike on the LCC board, uh, put Mike onto my radar about two, about two or three years ago, um, as this is a guy who really gets it, that this is a guy who is participating in, you know, I mean, politics, but like politics of like board service and like volunteerism for the right reasons. This is a guy who. You know, as a party chair, you know this is a guy who you should have on your radar. That he could do something really great um, because he's he's a good person. That he has good like I mean community values. That he puts Springfield first and he loves Springfield. And so Matt Keating. So I've been thinking about, and I started to get to know Mike maybe about three years ago. Um, It's it's been a while. And so when Mike decided that he wanted to run for mayor, I was I was thrilled um, that Mike is the kind of guy who, you know, there, there's, I, I mean, there's infinite kinds of leadership, right? But there's, you know, I think about leadership as there's the kind of leaders who like, they want to sit at the head of the table and they want to hand out everybody's assignments and tell everybody what to do. Um, and if you don't do what I say, then there will be consequences or bullying kind of leadership, right? And, so, and they
0: want to sign people stimulus checks.
1: <laughs> ah, they do. They do. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And and, 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 you know, and that, that, frankly, is the feedback that we've gotten about what leadership in Springfield is like right now, that that's kind of the method to the madness at this time. And that there's also the kind of leadership where you put smart people together in a room and that you, the leader is not the teller of what to do, but the leader is the facilitator of the collaboration. How do we work together? Um, and that, you know, I will say like, it's kind of, I mean, you think about John F. Kennedy's, uh, you know, that he had the, the brain trust, the Abraham Lincoln's team arrivals, like that, that kind of leadership where you bring people together, you don't have an agenda, you know, set in stone at the beginning and you let people collaborate and come up with the best thing to do. And that that's the kind of leadership that Mike has demonstrated and that he's done it. He's been a part of everything. He is the chair of the Lane Community College Board right now. Lane community college is one of the biggest economic drivers in our community. And he is yeah, sitting yeah. in a catbird seat over there. He's the vice chair of the Springfield utility board, the board of directors for sub. And so what they're doing there is that they are keeping our water rates low and our electricity yeah. rates low. And if you have, I mean, moving from Eugene to Springfield, having, Oh E-man, my gosh, now having sub man like that, yeah. that means a lot to, that means a lot to people who live here and that he gets it um, that he was on he served on I don't know if he was the chair or not but he served on the LTD board before he served as the president of the Better Eugene Springfield Transit um, that advocacy there that he I mean so he has volunteered in um, he was on the the executive committee for the Chamber of Commerce that he's been like he's been so he's got the of,
0: experience for sure all of
1: these different times yeah. you know so he and so he has a better understanding I mean almost than anybody I've ever met the only person I know. Who knows as much about Springfield as him is Lee Byer, Terry Byer, John Lively. Those are right. the people that I know that know enough about that. I mean, that are, that I can call on the phone on my cell phone at any time. There's other people out there. I'm sure I'm not trying to no, limit off the list, but I'm saying those are the people I know that know enough about Springfield as Mike Eister. Co- you know, conveniently all those people also support Mike Geister for mayor. And so right. I just, I think that, you know, a lot of times like Springfield the Springfield difference, like the difference between Springfield and Eugene is collaboration. Uh, that in Springfield, we have a 100%. thing called Team Springfield. And that this is like one of the coolest things ever. I, th- I think, I'm, I guess I'm a nerd because I think this stuff is cool. But so <laughs> That's good city, though. So the city of Springfield, Springfield Utility Board, Springfield School District, and Willamalane Lane all together form like Voltron and become Team Springfield. And what that means is that every month the um, CEOs – of all, So the city manager, the, um, the general city manager of Springfield, the general manager of sub, the superintendent of Willameline and the superintendent of schools, they meet every month. The chair of the boards of all of those um, meet every quarter. And then there's once a year, there's a big meeting where all the elected officials in Springfield for all four of those groups all meet together. Um, last year, we had it at the Justice Center and talked about like game plan, like what do we all want to do in Springfield for the next year? it's, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like a conclave or anything. Like it's an open meeting. Anybody can go to it that wants to. Nobody right. came last time, like, except for staff members, but you, you could come to it this year if you want to and see what we all talk about. And it's, you know, it's and there, there's a lot of people in the room. So it's not like a, the most insightful or stimulating conversation, but it's like, it's cool because all those people can sit in a room. There's people, you know, there there are people, it, it will not surprise you as a Democratic Party chair and somebody who feels very passionately about a lot of issues that there are people um, in elected office in Springfield with whom I vehemently disagree about sure. a number of issues. However, the cool thing about Springfield is that I do not feel like, that disagreement about an issue can prevent us from working together. That I could sit down in a room with Team Springfield or with any of those people and still have a productive working relationship and conversation. That that's the thing that Springfield does different and that that's right. awesome. Everybody now, can do that. Real
0: quick, is Bill Morissette, was Bill Morissette a Democrat? Bill
1: Morissette is okay.
0: So, because mm-hmm. so, this is an interesting thing. So my dad, when I first moved to Springfield, mm-hmm. I was 11 years old. My dad moved a little bit before that. My parents divorced when I was two. We grew up in Salem. But anyway, so my dad moved here. And when he settled, he got a job in, in Eugene and for cookie printing. Mm-hmm. And when uh, he got a job, he was looking at houses. And much like you, the reason that he settled is different than you. But he was thinking of a place that he could raise a family. And at that time, I lived with my mom. But there was a prospect that maybe I would move in with him. And so ultimately his decision was, he told me in his words, he's like, I can't live in that damn liberal town in Eugene. And mm-hmm. as I've evolved, I don't disagree actually in some ways because it's so, you talked about it earlier for a quick reference to how the Democratic Party needs to be careful not going so extreme to the left and get, get ahead of its skis is the word you used. Mm-hmm. But I think it's true. And what I've learned about Springfield is what you're talking about is the collaboration is, is that you can get because the, the demographic in, as far as voters, there's a lot of conservative minds in Springfield and especially in Thurston, you know. And uh, so you're going to have to persuade those people to get your support, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, as a Democrat. And so you can't go so extreme to the left that you're going to lose them. But uh, it's interesting to see as I've evolved and become an adult myself, the way that I view it, that I actually don't disagree that Eugene is almost too in the weeds because they do things to get looked at like they're getting a pat on the back. And it, and it, you know and it, it's tough to compare yeah. the two towns because of the sheer size of Eugene is what, like three times the size of Springfield.
1: Well, I would also, you know, I don't think that the biggest differences are actually um, ideological. Like, I think that some of that Ideology is like almost like superimposed on Eugene because of people go to the city council and yell at the city councilors, sure. right? Like I don't think that the actual governance, um, you know, there's not really a Republican and a Democrat way that are different to get the trash picked up, right? Like there's not really a Republican or a Democrat way that's different to make sure that the roads are in acceptable condition. So like the mechanics of local government. Is relatively, you know, uh, I don't want to say nonpartisan, because I don't think that that's true, but I don't, I don't think that that is very polarized. I think that that the political climate is more such, and that somebody told me, I don't even remember who who said this. I can't take credit for making this up, but they said that the people, the biggest difference between Springfield and Eugene is that in Springfield, the people who are the most involved in Springfield are the people who love Springfield,
0: sure, and then in
1: Eugene, the people who are the most involved. Are the people who hate Eugene?
2: (laughs) Yes, that makes sense.
1: Like, and and you can see that from like the tenor of the conversation. Like, I I mean, I've been a part of you know actions at the Eugene City Council that the DPLC has participated. Especially the last time I remember that we were really big, that we were really really involved, like on the core like planning level of actions with the Eugene City Council was during the debate about paid sick time, which you know everybody should have paid sick time uh, that whole issue ended up like, you know, Christine Lumberg didn't talk to the mayor of Eugene for like, I don't know, months after that, like, oh, wouldn't, wow, speak, yeah. wouldn't speak to her over it. It was so ridiculous. um I don't know. Sometimes I think that, you know, there, there's this, this, I, I think that this is a stale and like leftover. It's like the appendix, right? Like it only matters when it can kill you dynamic between Eugene and Springfield, that is like Springfield is the little brother and that, you know, big, bad Eugene is always picking on us. And that I mean, that's bullshit. Like that's not, that is not reflective of reality. Like I get why that happened too. Like that back in the day, and I don't remember what year it was, but there was an issue where Springfield wanted to expand the urban growth boundary. And that because there was a joint session, there's a, it was a joint urban growth boundary. Eugene blocked them. And so that uh, people probably, you know, felt hot under the collar about that. And it's turned into this resentment that has metastasized, but that doesn't help us. Like we live in a time of interconnectedness. Yes. Where the biggest, the biggest issues, right? The biggest issues that we have are housing, healthcare, and public safety. Those are the three biggest issues in Springfield. They're the three biggest issues in Eugene and that they're regional issues. They're not, Springfield has all the hospitals, like they're all, regional issues. And that if we cannot, you know, part of one of the things I'm excited with Mike about is that there's an opportunity to reset that relationship to be a lot more functional. I think, I think that we can, I don't think we can afford to just hold on to grievances. I think that we need to work together. Um, Springfield does not participate in the intergovernmental housing policy board. Springfield does not, um, you know, while Springfield is way ahead, way ahead, on ADUs, which, you know, I was a part of, uh, it's not a lawsuit, but like an appeal to the Oregon Land Use Board of Appeals about Eugene's intransigence regarding allowing ADUs on, I mean, again, like it's telling people what they can and can't build on their own property, right? Like that's, that's pretty messed up that, you know, and again, like within, within reason, like cities should not be telling Governments should not be telling people what they can and cannot do on their own property. Well, I think I think, you know, I,
0: th- I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. Well, like with my dad, where my dad and we have different views, but my dad being conservative, that's why. And this is where I want to throw a bone a little bit to the Republican mindset that mm-hmm. they're not completely wrong because they're not. You know, you know, it's just a different way of strategy. Now, you talked about tea so party. I, I, w-
1: I I would just point out though that the people who fought against the ADUs. Um, was not just the Republicans, right? No, like, I, that's like, oh, what exactly coalition what i was going The people who fought to have ADUs in Eugene was a coalition of Republicans and Democrats. So there was a couple of generally Republican-leaning institutions involved in that, like the Home Builders Association was really involved right, in that. Right. But also a very Democratic-leaning institution, the Thousand Friends of Oregon, was a co-signer on that. The AARP, which is like so nonpartisan, it's unbelievable, had signed on to that. And so it was very much like a broad coalition of stakeholders that realized that housing, you know, more people is more important than wealthy white Eugene homeowners trying to keep renters and black people out of their neighborhoods. Right. And so like that, that is much, much more important. The so irony-
0: Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Please. I was going to say the irony of all of that with my dad is is that my dad then ended up buying a house in the Washburn district and the Washburn district was like, you have to do it this way and that way. And he's like, nope. he's like, absolutely not. Yeah. But so I want to move on a little bit. Um, You had talked about um, John F. Kennedy. So real briefly, I want to ask you some of your political influences on a national scale over history, over history. So. I mean, you, you can see some of the ones behind you, and you had told me off air that this is actually your, your fiancé's office. Mm-hmm. But those, I'm sure, are shared values. Yeah. That's why you're marrying her.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, or she's marrying you.
0: Yeah. yeah. So tell me some of your political influences on a national level.
1: So I believe um, that the most effective president in American history is Lyndon Baines Johnson, um, that he is a, a person who I respect greatly because of his um, ability to pass the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Um, I think that those actions are the things that crystallize the coalition that has created the modern democratic party. And that furthermore, um, you know, those were the right things to do that were not popular with all of his coalition. Cause back then remember that the Democrats had the big Southern contingent. And so, you know, that faced with, Um, you know, a big part of his own caucus wasn't going to support that, that he went to the Republicans and got them on board back when there was both conservatives and liberals and geographic, you know, that the main divider wasn't ideological, it was geographic. So he got that Civil Rights Act and that Voting Rights Act passed. Um, And that that, that's the most um, significant legislation passed in the United States, probably since the abolition of slavery, Um, that that's big big deal
0: exactly like a hundred years after slavery too you know yeah
1: and there there's no there's no um minimizing how big of a deal those two pieces of legislation are and that you know he was willing to sacrifice the coalition of his party to make it happen because it was the right thing to do and so i he is a hero of mine um you know i'm not super happy about the vietnam stuff like but that that wasn't his focus, right? Like the part of how Vietnam got to be so, such a bad situation is because he took his eye off the ball because he cared about the great society, which was just much more important to him. Um, it also, you know, the backlash to the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act led to Nixon's Southern strategy, which has culminated with the geographic partisan split that we have today. Still Although, today, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. All, I mean, worse today. Although, you know, we see glimmers of hope I think you know. I, I think that this year there's a better chance that Georgia votes for a Democrat for president than Ohio, my my own home state. And so it's very it's very interesting because it all um, you know changes over time.
0: Especially if um, Biden picks, especially if Biden picks Stacey Abrams, which has been discussed. I don't think he's going to go with Abrams, but yeah, I mean we'll see. I
1: hope I hope he does. I I've gone on the record saying that I think that she is the best pick outright, not just for political considerations. I think that she is the best pick period. And so I I will be, I will support, you know, just like at the, in the primary, you know, I'm the party chair, like I support whoever the voters pick. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on, put my thumb on the scale too much. That's not fair. Um, But I support, you know, I'll support whoever he picks. But I, if, if, you know, in a dream, I got a call from, you know, Joe Biden or, you know, his team and said, who do you want to be vice president? Out of anybody, I would say Stacey Abrams, hands down.
0: I like how you said that. How you said that you're going to support who the vote voters picked, because that's the the best way to approach the Biden situation. In my last episode, you can just hear my frustration, and I was a strong Bernie supporter, and it is what it is. And we're not here to talk about that today. But uh, I like how you said that about how we're going to support who the voters picked, because that's what we need to do on in the presidential election. But you know, we can talk about that on a later date. Who, now? One more uh, follow up on the political influences. You had mentioned Stacey Abrams and that you like her, but who is somebody also in modern politics that you admire on a national level?
1: Well, I'll just throw in there that my first choice, um, if I, if, if we had a contested election all the way through, I would have cast my vote for Elizabeth Warren. Definitely. Like no, no second thoughts about that. Um, I, you know, I came into politics um, and my very first, like, big full-time I had a part-time job working for County Commissioner Pete Sorensen, campaigning for him but my very first full-time job in politics was working on the Obama campaign and so Barack Obama is a very uh is a very inspiring person for me um he just like what he was able to accomplish and that people like I I feel kind of defensive when people take pot shots at him especially from the left because you know I don't think, I think that that critique is divorced of history, sure. um, of what he had to accomplish and what he could and couldn't do because, you know, he faced historic opposition that had never, a level of opposition that had never happened before because of the color of his skin, not because of his policies, not because of the fact he was a Democrat, not because of anything about him except for the fact that he was black, is why the Republicans rebelled against him so hard. And that no person on the left has ever had to contend with that. None of those people worked for him. None of them know. And so, like, I I feel, I mean, you can tell from my tone of voice, Like, I feel very defensive when people um, criticize Obama that he didn't do it. I will
0: say that one person, and this is going to surprise people, but one Mm. person that has faced the same type of opposition, now she didn't make it to the pinnacle, is Hillary Clinton. Because Hillary Clinton, there was a 30-year assault on her character. And I'm well, not a fan of Hillary, you know, but the thing is, is that there was a 30 year assault on her and Bill and Bill is a separate issue. But even when she was just the first lady, my dad would, would, his eyes would, would roll back and he'd turn beet red cause he hated her so much. And I'm not talking about, I don't blame him specifically because it was the drum being beaten by Rush Limbaugh yeah. and conservative talk radio. And that, and that was the change in our country.
1: Well, I I do like Hillary. And that I, you know, I most I mean, a lot of people who know me know this, but I left my job, I went on unpaid leave from my job to be the regional field director for Southern Oregon for Hillary. So my I left, I left working in drug treatment, and I came back to campaigning to be the regional director for um, the Hillary Clinton campaign and for the Democratic Party of Oregon from basically everything south of Marion County to California and the mountains to the ocean. And so that that's, I mean, that's a lot of Hillary Clinton campaigning and that it was really good. And that I think that Hillary Clinton is a, um, a transformative American figure. I think that the reason why when I was a kid and when I was in school, we talked about if there is ever gonna be a woman president, And now we talk about when there is a woman president and the big difference between then and now is Hillary Clinton, that that is a one single handed assault on the glass ceiling and that even if she didn't break it, that she put so many cracks in that ceiling that it is coming down. And, you know, I think that the real Hillary Clinton is the person who like if you think about like if you look at her history, what did she do when she got out of law school? She didn't go and work at a corporate law firm like, you know, she didn't go and do any of that. What she did was she basically went, she went and worked for a nonprofit and went undercover to bust schools in the South that were resegregating and refusing to desegregate. That she would pose as a mother of, you know, of white children that would go check out these schools and like, you know, basically, um, you know, I mean, kind of entrap them into admitting that they didn't let black students come to their schools and then this nonprofit would sue them. That's the real Hillary Clinton. The real Hillary Clinton is the one in the healthcare debate in 1993 when Bill Clinton, first thing, remember, Bill Clinton became president. They tried to do health care reform and they tried to do, I mean, Hillary was the, the person who argued at that time for single payer universal healthcare. And then everybody, you know, because they want to take shots at her because of the compromises that she has had to make along the way. But like every compromise that she ever made was a compromise so that one day, not just her, but a woman could be president. And that sure. that's people like having a theory of change that is sacrificed, um, that is the long game and that is not taking shortcuts, that that is something that I, I don't, I lack the words to describe how much I respect that. And well, then, you know, you when
0: know, she ran real quick, when she ran and when she talked about universal health care. We've been talking a little bit about it on the podcast. That that wording is so much better than Medicare for all. It's the same thing, essentially. Or maybe it's different the way they'd work. We could be here for hours on that. But the wording and the and the sales of it, the sales pitch of universal healthcare sounds so much better than Medicare for all. Medicare for all, because people think, well, Medicare isn't working. You know, and I don't know. But we could be here forever. Well, that's really, you know, interesting. And, and I'd like to talk to you more at length on that at a later date. <laughs> yeah. uh, another thing I want to... Talk about real quick, uh, this is the stay at home order and the shutdown. And one of the dangerous things that this is gonna do is that it's gonna have a really huge economic impact on local government. Mm -hmm. Because with people not working and then collecting unemployment, if they can ever get it, but that's a different issue. But uh, you know, the revenues for taxes are gonna be way down come next year when people are looking at their budgets. And so for people like you that are already doing volunteer work it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Cause as I mean, as of right now, I don't know who sets the budget necessarily, the mayor and the the city, you know, city council and whatnot.
1: Well, how they set the budget is that they have um, every, and this is by law. So everybody does this the same, that every local government that has to set a budget has a budget committee. Um, And that that budget committee consists of the number of members and then an equal number of citizen members. So like for Willamalane, the budget committee is 10 people, the five board members, and then the five citizen members. And that we just appointed our five citizen members at our last meeting for Willamilane. And so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Like I don't know what's going to happen yet. I don't know. Um, Certainly there will have to be because revenues are down. Local governments have to balance their budgets. Um, that Willamalean is in a very financially healthy position going into this, so I mean I, I I'm almost certain that we'll have to draw on reserves, but I don't know how much I don't I don't you know I'm not prepared to comment on any. Right, no no right yeah
0: it's too early but, to know, but we'll talk but, about we'll have it back on when that time comes. I mean
1: all the way around. So city of Springfield has six councilors, so they'll have six councilors and six citizen members. Sub has five members, and so there will be five citizen members. Um, I think that Chris McAllister is on the sub budget committee. Um, I think, I think that that's where he's at. And then the, for the school district is the five board members and the five citizen members that sets the budget.
0: Chris and I have recently started kind of uh, getting acquainted through James Barber. And so I'm, I'm probably going to try to get him on the podcast at some point. He's yeah, doing he, some really, really good work for the homeless community.
1: Yeah, dude, you should definitely talk to him. He has, um, he has a lot of really great ideas. He's also my neighbor. So like he lives around, he lives around the corner from me. So cool!
0: I didn't realize he was in Springfield. That's good to know.
1: Yeah, he is. He's, he's a really good dude. He's running for city council too. And that he is, he's in a three-way race, uh, where he is not a Democrat. And the other two people running Corey Rodley and Johannes Tadeo are Democrats. And that, that is, you know, as a, as a party chair, like my dream is when you have a race, where you know we have multiple Democratic candidates, but also not Democratic candidates, and that all of those candidates are great. Like I could not, I don't, I don't know who I'm going to vote for yet. So you that, say he's
0: not a Democrat. But, what is this party affiliation? Independent.
1: Um, he is a he is a proud not affiliated voter. Okay, he is cool. Not, he is not affiliated with the party, and on purpose. And I've asked him to be a Democrat multiple times so I'll ask him again someday too he's a good that's that's cool I'm gonna reach
0: I'm gonna reach out to him and try to get him maybe I'll do that in the next you know coming weeks well I don't know how much more time we have we try to keep this under an hour let's make sure let me go over and make sure I I covered all my major pressing questions oh this is a political question that I'm sure you won't answer uh what are your political aspirations (laughs) where is the pinnacle for you I mean I mean what is next what's next for you
1: well, what's next for me is that I'm gonna do the very best job that I can um, on the Willamalane board to deliver exceptional parks and recreation to enrich the lives of everybody in Springfield. Um, you know, Willamalane's mission, that's Willamalane's mission statement, and I, I love it. It's, uh, you know, it's a real great opportunity to be a part of something so positive, um, and that I'm also, you know, gonna be doing my very best to make sure that we, as Democrats, hold all of our seats in the legislature in the fall, um, that we have open seats on the coast. So, Senate District 5, Arnie Roblin is retiring, and House District 9, Caddy McCune is retiring. And so, um, Melissa Cribbins is running over there. And uh, as for the Senate seat, she's a county commissioner from Coos County and is very formidable. Um, she's gonna be great. Uh, Cal Nakamoto is a, a small business owner, from Coos Bay, who's running for the House seat. I think he's gonna do a really good job. We got to make sure that they win. We got to defend all of our legislative seats here in the Eugene Springfield metro area, Um, that our senators aren't up this time. So Senator Presanti, Senator Byron, Senator Manning, they're in the middle of the four-year cycle, but all of our state reps are up. And so we got uh, Representative Holvey, Representative Wildey, Representative Lively, Representative Nathanson, and Representative um, uh, Fahey, uh, on the ballot. And then we have a pickup opportunity. I, I mean, I'll just tell you, like not to go too deep into the weeds, but that Democrats have a real opportunity if they choose to accept it in Oregon this time. And that that opportunity is this. Uh, we already know that everybody that is possibly, could possibly want to vote is gonna vote because either they support what Donald Trump is doing or they hate what Donald Trump is doing. Donald Trump is the greatest driver of turnout in the history of elections, maybe. And so everybody is already going to vote. And that Democrats, we have the opportunity, whether somebody's going to vote for Donald Trump or against him, that doesn't matter. People are out there. And that one of the reasons that people don't vote for Democrats is because we don't ask them to vote. We don't ask them to vote for us. And so somebody who conceivably could vote for Donald Trump, could also vote for Democrats down the ballot, even though those Democrats don't agree with Donald Trump. Like I, you know, there's a whole science about why do people vote the way that they do and that that science is so inconclusive that I would call it junk, that it doesn't, we don't know why people vote the way that they do, but the best way to get somebody to vote for you is to ask them. And so we have an opportunity in Lane County Um, in, like, the far eastern part of Lane County, including the McKenzie River communities, uh, you know, in Oak Ridge, where the representative is Cedric Hayden from Pleasant Hill, who I will remind you, like, Cedric Hayden, when two years ago, mm, was it two years ago? In, when we did, yeah, two years ago, when we had the campaign for Measure 101 to, like, do a tax on hospitals to pay for OHP that the hospitals agreed to in advance. Cedric Hayden bankrolled straight up this guy who's a state representative bankrolled the campaign against having OHP and then he sent out a fundraising letter to people including Democrats bragging about how he spent all of his campaign money on this campaign to take away people's OHP and will you please give me a campaign contribution so that guy that guy is trash. And that yeah. there is a good candidate running against him, who is a Bernie Sanders Democrat and a uh, supporter of Doyle Canning, who I know you have had on the show before.
0: We're going to have her again on the show. Actually, that's what I was going to talk about next. Uh, guy
1: named uh, Jerry Samiego is running in that house district. And that I think that he has an opportunity to win. I don't, I don't think that he's favored to win, but I think that, that we have an opportunity to engage people who are going to vote and that like, can we get them to vote down ticket Democrat? regardless of who they vote for for president. And then I think that 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 is an opportunity that, you know, that is a decision, Uh, allocating the resources to do that is a decision that is made above my level. Um, But that that is something that I have had conversations with the state Democratic Party about, um, had conversations with senior staff members for our, you know, federal representatives that are going to be on the ballot this year with them about that this is an opportunity, we have an opportunity to just, expand what we do. And that but there's not an easy way. There's not a shortcut. There's not an app. There's not we can't buy ads to do it. We got to go out and knock on people's doors with a real human and talk to them about this is why, you know, even regard like I don't want to talk to you about who's, who you're voting for for president. I want to tell you about this guy running for this seat and how locally. they can make a difference. And if if we can do that, which you know, hopefully the social distancing will be over by then and we can, then we have a good chance to win. So we have a good chance to win Democrats can win seats in 2020 that we will never be able to win again, that we won't be able to hold in 2022 when Trump is not on the ballot. That we we have an opportunity to do something really awesome. And sure. I, I hope that we decide to take it.
0: So uh I'm gonna talk about my coming my guest coming up, Doyle Canning is one of them. I want to give a shout out to my title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro. OregonCashflowPro.com giving free money management advice, which during the shutdown has been very good. So head over to OregonCashflowPro.com and check out what he's doing. Uh, so, yeah, you talked about Doyle Canning. She's running in the fourth district for uh, Congress. She'll be on the show on Monday. And then I've got another guest that is actually running. He reached out to me, his, one of his people reached out to me. His name is Albert Lee. He's running for congress i think it's the second district but it's in multnomah county so we're going to talk a little bit outside of the area but you had mentioned the bernie camp a lot of these people would are called justice democrats and justice democrats Mm -hmm. if people are unfamiliar should look that up there's a kind of a wing of the party that is really one of the things bernie sanders was able to do was to inspire young young people to run i'm talking under 50 you know but to run and to get involved Mm -hmm. and You know, I really appreciate you doing this show and you have shown me that, that, and we talked about this on the phone last night, people in local government are approachable. And so if there's a question, and I wanted to ask a question before we get out of here about what people should turn to for information, your answer to me last night was, for local information, was you can reach these people, whether it's on Facebook. And so in the show notes of this, I'm going to put a link to your political Facebook page It's like friends. It's Mm -hmm. at friends of Chris Wig. And you're somebody that is willing to talk to anyone that wants to reach out if they have a question about Springfield government. And I think that's really cool. And, you know, I'm going to have you on. This relationship is going to build. Every time I have a guest for the first time, it's an introduction to my audience. So this is Chris Mm -hmm. Wig. And I really do appreciate you talking to us and telling us a little bit about this. I want to say that your passion and your love of Springfield is something that I think is going to take you far in Springfield government. (laughs)
1: So this is really cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I think that um you know I one of the things that people the two the two big things that people don't know about local government that I have learned one is that we don't make any money um, that being a local government official or being a legislator uh, does not you don't get paid to do that or get paid very much and so like you know the people who are on the city council and on the school board, that those are, they're volunteers. And that, you know, I don't always agree with every decision that everybody makes, even the people who are Democrats, I don't always agree with that decision, but that I, you know, respect and love volunteerism. Um, I think that volunteerism is the thing that will save this country um, from the kind of the dregs of like, I don't know, this this idea of like, there's an idea circulating right now in the media, um, a guy named Aitan Hirsch just wrote a book and it's called Politics is for Power. And the idea behind it is that political hobbyism, as opposed to doing real like coalition building and politics, uh, that that is kind of like why we're so messed up because people reading the news and commenting on Facebook and posting on Twitter, like that's not actually making any change, like it's not. But if you go to your city councilor, like you contact them and you have an idea and you work with them to like pass a law, That is making change. And so people need to be doing more of that kind of stuff, participating in groups to actually change the world instead of just talking about it because, you know, talk is cheap, like you got to do stuff. And so I, I think that that's one of the things. And then the other thing is that all of the people who are involved in your local government, like the biggest thing of being an elected official is I am starved for feedback. I need feedback to do a good job. I go out and knock on people's doors and ask them how I'm doing on weekends. Like I, you know, and I am kind of weird because I like doing that. But, you know, if you have an opinion or you just want to learn more, you can contact the city councilor. you can contact the Willamette Lane Board and that we will talk to you. Those people will talk to you. Um, Sometimes during the Legislative session, it can be pretty tough to get a hold of a legislator if you're not a constituent just because of the volume of mail that they get. My sure. fiance works for Senator Byer. And so I have some insight into like how much mail they get, how much email they get. But like outside of the session, if you reach out to a legislator, even if it's not your own legislator, about an issue that they care about, they will answer your questions. They will work with you. They will talk to you that people, you know, care. And so one of the cool things about Willammalane, right? Like Willammalane gets, um, that we have these really cool partnerships. I'm going to just take it all the way back to where we started. And that, so when we built the, when Willamilane built the trails in the Thurston Hills, that they worked with a group called the Disciples of Dirt, who is a mountain biking, uh, community volunteer group. And that, that they, um, because of this partnership, the Disciples of Dirt volunteered and built mountain biking trails through the Thurston Hills that any, citizen, any any Springfield or anybody, any person at all who has a mountain bike can go ride on these trails That's that amazing. are on yeah. Willameline property, right? And that just now, although I don't know how the shutdown or the the um, social distancing is going to affect this, there was a group of people who, um, you know, right, the, the rules of Willameline have always been that um, riding horses on Willameline property was not allowed. And there was a situation in the Georgia Pacific natural area, which is just right down by the river, um, kind of in between Clearwater Park and uh, on the one side, and Doris Ranch on the other side, There was some land that was, uh, you know, acquired by the district. is co-owned by Willamalane, Springfield Utility Board, and the city. Where that, you know, folks, there were there are historically back from even before Willamalane owned this property, there was like horse trails back in there, and so up until recently people kind of looked the other way, but then there were some kind of run-ins and complaints about it. And so, you know, that we had to enforce, Willamilane had to enforce this, no equestrian, no riding your horses on Willamilane property. And that people who were involved in the equestrian community were, I mean, I think very rationally and rightly upset about that. And so they all came to the meeting. And the result of that was that we created an ad hoc committee where we worked through, because there's a bunch of like, I mean, technical problems about why that wouldn't work. And so like, let's, but they're not unsolvable problems. It's like, we need to, you know, make some agreements and some commitments about what are we all going to do and what are the rules going to be and who's going to follow what rules and all that. And that by doing that, we're going to run a pilot program this summer of allowing equestrian activity in this area of the park for the first time ever. And so So they
0: listen to the people. I mean, essentially, and that's a great example.
1: Well, not not only did they listen, I, I think that that um, doesn't give the people enough credit because like if people would have just come and yelled at us and we would have said, oh, well, those are the rules, right? Like the conversation would have ended, but that's not what happened. What happened was that the people came and that we as a group were like, we should figure out a way, like these are, there are issues here, but they're not issues that are not solvable. They're issues right. that, that if we just, you know, work on it, then we should be able to do it but that we can as a board do that on our own, that members of the equestrian community also have to step up and do it. And that they did, they participated, that they were able to work it out. And so now we, now we can do it. And it's awesome. Like that that's the kind of collaboration that I like to see in, you know, local government, that that's, that's the kind of thing that you don't, you know, I, I mean, I believe that, um, our rep people, like they think about politics as just being the president. Right. And and maybe if we're lucky, the Senate and Congress. And like I'll tell you that I think that Congressman DeFazio, Senator Wyden, and Senator Merkley, all of them are doing a hundred percent good job. Like they're they're excellent. Peter DeFazio is an amazing representative. Senator Wyden is an amazing senator. Jeff Merkley is amazing. They're doing great, great stuff. But that that's not like if somebody wants to make a difference in politics, like that and you're you're just getting started, or you know, that that's not where you're going to make a difference, right? You're not going to make a difference in Congress if you're just getting started. Where you're going to make a difference is as close to home as you can, your park board, your school board, your city, even your state, that those are all places where any, any everyday person can make a huge, huge yeah. difference and – frankly, we need you more than Congressman DeFazio needs you. Like Congressman DeFazio is a committee chair. Like he's got it on lock that what we need to make our world better is people to be getting involved right here in Springfield.
0: Well, that's a good point. So to end it, you're talking about DeFazio and I've endorsed Doyle Canning for for Congress. Mm -hmm. But let me say this, that if Doyle does not win, what she has gained in this is the political uh, credit. Like people know who she is now. Because Mm -hmm. I think that it takes – both defazio being a committee chair is very big but after the census is done and the redistrict redistricting we're probably going to pick up another congressional seat and so if she runs for that and we have a freshman in in congress and then we have defazio as well in our area that could be really big that could be really good having fresh ideas and having the the experience and track record with defazio so you can't go wrong with those two candidates. I'm going to vote for Doyle Canning, but you can't go wrong with DeFazio. I'm not going to badmouth DeFazio either, but that's a different story. So we'll talk to her more at length about that on, yep. on, uh, on Monday. So that'll be really cool. She's incredible. So Chris, this is really awesome. I appreciate you doing this for me, and I have a, I have a feeling that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reaching out to you again, and we'll have you on you know, maybe quarterly or whatnot, talk about kind of yep. the, the state of the city with, Eugene, with Springfield.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to so, come back anytime you want me.
0: I appreciate it. And then I'm going to reach out to Chris McAllister. And this is one of the things I love about building relationships. Coalition building is what you said and James Barber has told me about. When I started this podcast, James Barber was my fourth guest. And James has been back on a ton of times and he's my title sponsor for the show. He's introduced me to so many people that I've then had on. And you came on, like I had said before, shout out to Zach Bissett because Zach works with you and Zach is somebody that really admires the work you do and looks up to you. Mm-hmm. And even though your peers and are roughly around the same age, but he's he—that's what he told me. He's like I look up to him a lot. So, so that's really cool. So this is cool that I'm getting in, you know know—a t- uh, one-on-one with with local people making a difference, and I think it's really important. So I'm tr- I'm doing my part to make it kind of not so yep. stuffy and so boring and whatnot. And I need to attend more of those city council meetings and whatnot and kind of get out. But we'll talk about that at a later date. At ways to get more involved. So Chris, Chris Wig, thanks a lot for doing this thank you for having me you're very welcome I'm going to end this with a song this is actually a song by me a throwback I picked it based more on the title of what we're currently living in with the stay at home order it's called Here I'll Stay so this is me self-esteem but Willie with Here I'll Stay Chris Wig thanks a lot silence
2: inside an empty mind with hills to We're wanting more of the things that drag you down Arrange this illusion of democracy intruding on me secretly we can be all we can be but we never seem to see through the cloud of memories boom thread is a history it's about our credit night by selfish pride i believe i try to find some unity not separation from our destiny the best of me soon will be forgotten left out left over gone rotten look Deep, find out can't sleep drown out concerns with cheap toxicants. wake up once more upset stomach headaches soon unrest i'll plummet to the floor no open door today cause here i'll stay Gone rotten, look deep, find out Can't sleep, drown out, concerns with cheap Intoxicants, wake up once more Upset stomach, headaches and Unrest, I'll plummet to the floor No open door today Cause here I'll stay here I'll